Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Indiana, Sean, from Mile High Sports. The Denver Nuggets don't play until Friday. No, the NBA don't. playoffs are uh, going in the way the NBA usually does this in the second round. They make sure there's only one game a night for some odd reason, which means you get some strange spacing in the games. But well, the, you have two games on Friday. Right. But you're exactly right. For the most Tonight, part. one game. Philadelphia one game. at Boston tomorrow. One game. Lakers at Golden State. And we'll, of course, talk about those as the program goes along. But it is the Nuggets we're worried about, the Nuggets and the Suns on Friday. And because of the way that Chris Paul left the game, in game two, late uh, while guarding kind of Contavious Caldwell-Pope kind of grabbed uh, in, in that groin area. And yeah, actually, never came for a rebound. Back. Wasn't it? And, yeah, and he was Caldwell kinda, he was Pope kinda, beat him on a rebound. Right. Well, we're sort of it, boxing it, each other out. Well, and, yeah. yeah, I thought Paul had position. Uh, Caldwell Pope jumped over him, and it seemed that on the way up, he re-injured that uh, groin muscle, and he's had similar kinds of injury problems in playoffs past. As we've been reminded, he turns 38 on Saturday, and I think it's safe to say that on Friday night he will not be playing Game four, he will not be playing, and most likely game five, he will not be playing, and my guess would be that the series would be over by the time he's ready to play. So, effectively, he's out for the year. Listed by the Suns as day-to-day, even the idea of uh, pushing for a return, he's not going to make it. Uh, virtually every report believes that it will be at least game Every game Every four. report is saying three games and, at and least. At least a week. Game five. At least a week. So, uh, he's already missed eight games in the, in the playoffs in his career, but... Even though I've, including I've, the last two, what was it, 2018? 2018 in the Western Conference Finals. In the Western Conference Finals, when yep. they were up 3-2, mm-hmm. and he missed the last two games, and the Rockets lost both games, and Golden State went Golden on State. to win the third of the four titles they've won with the current group. Yep, and uh, Paul has been an interesting player in these early two games, both losses for the Suns, wins for the Nuggets. I said prior to the series that I wasn't concerned about Chris Paul beating the Denver Nuggets because I just don't think he's he's that player anymore. But he sets up yes. Booker and Durant to do it. And now with, with Devin Booker expected to take over that point guard role as he's he's the guy that's second on the team in assists. He's the likeliest person to do it. There really is, when you looked at the guys that were behind him, quite frankly, some of them aren't even on the team anymore. Yeah. When you look at the the sun stats right. in those cases. So yeah. it's obviously a challenge for for them to move on from Chris Paul. But keep in mind, on top of that, you know we we do talk about plus minus a lot here, and it's an imperfect stat, but it definitely has its values. He's been the Suns' number one guy in plus yes, minus in the entire playoffs, and get and if you don't, you know, if you look at this, basically they've outscored their opponents by thirty nine points in the seven games when Chris Paul's on the floor. You can do the math there. That's a five to six point difference per game mm-hmm. that you take away. Well, the Suns have already lost twice. Now Devin Booker has to focus on distributing as well as scoring. As well as defending. Yep. Uh, as well as creating his own shot because Paul's not out there. And the same goes for Durant, too. Durant's already forcing. <laughs> And now he's going to have to force some more and take more difficult shots because You're not there's no up. one to set him up. And uh, there's talk of Cameron Payne, who in the past has been a decent backup point guard. Four and a half but assists per game in the regular off. season. He's coming off an injury, and he was wholly ineffective in game two. 
a terrible in game two. One for seven, did not look good. They may not have a choice but to to uh, try to get him back out there again, but he did not look good uh, against the Nuggets in game two. One for seven of the 17 minutes. Otherwise, uh, only played five games in the blowout loss in game one against the Nuggets and only played three minutes in the entire series against the Clippers. So they'd be talking about bringing a guy in who's more or less not been playing with the team significant minutes and asking him to pick up a, a lot there. Could they start Cameron Payne? I guess they, they could and probably may because they I don't know who else they have to have a choice. I mean, over the regular season, he averaged 20 minutes a game, and maybe you can do yeah, that again. Yeah, there's been some but, talk that they'd start Lee because he he's a three-point threat. And that makes Such as three-point threats go on the Phoenix Suns. There aren't very many uh, legitimate three-point shooters. Well, about the same minutes per game, 20.4 for Lee, 20.2 for Payne in the regular season. So they play yeah. about the same amount of time. Right. And I could see a situation where they're maybe both uh, playing significant minutes, depending on the lineup. I, I can envision what you're talking about. If Booker is really taking over point guard duties, uh, maybe having Lee out there as another shooter will help the pressure. Because otherwise, if you're the Nuggets, the, the idea on defense, you would presume, would be, well, maybe we'll crowd Booker a little bit. Then again, if you're the Nuggets, you may look at it and say, why should we change anything? First two games have gone exactly the way we want it. Well, I think you have to see, and again, as Steve Kerr put it last night, uh, uh, or maybe it was the other day, not last night, um, you have to feel the game. I think he said it last night in the uh, between quarters interview. They do. Mm-hmm. He was asked a question about how they align in the fourth quarter, and he said you have to feel the game, uh, which is something that uh, the coach here does not do often enough, although, although I did he, that, give him credit, yeah. uh, and you did as well uh, in game two. I thought he did feel the game. Uh, I, I think Monty Williams seemed to be the one the other night who had trouble feeling the game and having a sense of uh, who to put out there, uh, particularly once Paul went down, and I understand that happens during the game and uh, – you're, you're trying to protect the lead, and you, you've had an eight-point lead. It's down to three, and then Paul gets hurt, and you're putting pain in a guy who hasn't played in really significant minutes in weeks, and he's coming off an injury himself. So I, I would expect them to have some semblance of a plan that the Nuggets will have to uh, confront on Friday night, but I, I, I'm just not sure how effective it will be, and – uh, we'll we'll see. Maybe Payne's a different player, knowing he's going to get minutes anyway, and playing at home. Maybe he's different. Maybe he's different. And as I recall, back in was it twenty one that they made the finals? Mm-hmm. He's a pretty good player. Lefty, uh, you know, lefties are hard to guard. Uh, course aware they're left-handed but you're not used to guarding lefty players and there's certain advantages i think that uh, lefty guards do have but i i don't think the nuggets need to go into the game thinking a lot has to change uh, it you just it, the, the whole defensive plan is make durant and booker take tough shots they will make some tough shots but they will not make a healthy percentage if all they're doing more or less all they're doing is taking tough shots. Talking to reporters today, Bruce Brown said the Nuggets are, are game planning as if Chris Paul would play. I as they I, should. I don't think I, they're, you I know, think you should. Game plan that way. And uh, suggested the primary focus of the film session was uh, pick and roll defense, accounting for Kevin Durant, and for uh, 
bet the backside shooters on those those pick and rolls. Uh, that that appears to me to be the right approach because yes, I think that's what you're worried about. The things that the Nuggets where they get discombobulated defensively is at times, especially with some of the less experienced guys like Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, we've seen the Nuggets get beat by good pick and roll teams here and there. We've seen that that cause problems that can continue over the course of a game. So I do think that should be the focus. And I actually think now with Booker being the point guard, I expect to see a lot more of that. I mean, I, I expect to see oh, far more screens set right. trying to free Booker up either for the shot or for the pass. And the Nuggets really need to be aware of that. I think this is going to be a, a pick and roll almost every possession for Phoenix on Friday. And again, to my way of thinking, a lot of people operate this way now, but I think in 2023 NBA basketball, motion and flow are much, much more important than sets. Sets are easy to defend, especially in a playoff series. You know, you know every set, mm-hmm. every play that the opposition has been running uh, all year. Uh, motion and flow is much more difficult to defend. And I, I think that that's been Golden State's secret in getting back into the championship contending business and, of course, winning their fourth title last year is that they're tough to guard because there's a randomness to what they do. Right. And that was what made Doug Moe's passing game great in the 1980s. Uh, obviously, the Nuggets ran more relentlessly than anybody else and, and played a different type of game. But at the same time, how do you guard the passing game? You, you, you can't. I mean, you, you can. It, there are certain patterns, I suppose, within the passing game, and you know who the shooters are who are most dangerous. Alex English, Kiki Vandaway, mm-hmm. Calvin Nat, Dan Issel, on and on. But in theory, everybody touches the ball. Everybody moves. And even if you didn't really have to account in certain ways for T.R. Dunn, if you ignored him, you'd be giving up layups. And even a non-shooter can make layups. And to an extent, isn't that kind of what we're talking about with this Nuggets team when you brought up specifically randomness? The, it, it, while it is not random, the nature of the way Nikola Jokic plays the game and Jamal Murray yes. plays with Nikola Jokic can that appear is more that or is less random. random. I mean, that is th- random. you you move. I you could basically tell a player if Nikola Jokic is, is setting up, whoever that is, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., Caldwell Pope, you, me, Danny Bailey in the booth, who would be the best choice. He's much taller and athletic. But go out there and run and cut, even without a plan. And if you find a window, Jokic will find you. Why do you need to move, run plays move when your around, offense runs right. through Nikola Jokic? Move you around, don't. and he will find you. Be ready to shoot. Be ready to shoot at any moment and keep moving. And that can basically be the Nuggets offense. And it's extraordinarily difficult to defend. Whereas even though the, the Suns have extraordinary talent in future Hall of Famer Durant and Booker, who is right at the cusp of being a superstar, if he's not already, but he's certainly one of the top five guards in the league and one of the best scorers in the league. Despite that talent, their offense is oddly straightforward and yeah. rather oh, easy to defend. I, I think that so. in, a, in today's NBA, where you talk about it, that they don't go to the rim very often. They nope. don't shoot threes very often. It's and don't mid-range. shoot free throws very often. Yeah, it's a mid-range jumper offense that yeah. works only because, well, for two reasons. One, 
Durant and, and Booker are extraordinary shooters. And Two, Paul is still a good mid-range shooter. NBA teams now, this this is almost like a college football team who has to play Air Force all of a sudden. You're like, who plays this way anyway? Right. Nobody in the NBA That's plays exactly a right. mid-range jumper game. So most teams don't really defend it because you don't face anybody who does that. And Durant and Booker and Paul, to an extent, all have an opportunity to shoot more or less wide open mid ranges all night, and they converted at a sixty percent clip, and that's enough well, to win a lot of basketball. You, you remember the playoff series two years ago that they killed the Nuggets with easy mid range shots. Yeah, and, and Paul was they were as much wide open. Oh, of, Paul was lethal uh, in that uh, series. Uh, he was uh, terrific. Problem in that series is Booker was mm-hmm. they didn't have Durant, of course, but the 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 big problems were Paul and Booker getting easy mid range shots from fifteen feet on in, or get, getting floaters and the, yeah runners. Chris Paul's has that easy drop. Right, you, you 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 break down shot by shot in this series for Booker and Durant the degree of difficulty, and I bet the percentage is well well north of sixty percent on 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 high difficulty shots. Hard to make shots in that series two years ago. I'll bet it was below thirty percent. Might have been below twenty percent when you were talking about percentage of difficult shots they took, and as a result, they shot a high percentage. And in game number two, obviously they shot forty percent. Game number one, they shot fifty-one point two, but the Nuggets had advantages other than field goal percentage in virtually every other area of the game. So they won by 18 points. And, of course, we talked about the math problem where the Nuggets were uh, shooting and making threes with far greater frequency than Phoenix was. Uh, But it was a different problem for the Suns the other night. And now, as you say, the big problem with Phoenix is no Chris Paul, at least for the Phoenix games, it would seem. It's used for the next two at bare minimum. And that part is going to be pretty fascinating because it really does uh, put Phoenix in a bad spot. My concern would be for the Nuggets, is there the possibility of a let-up? And you're thinking, all right, we've played two games. We've beat them in a high-scoring game. We beat them in a low-scoring game. Our offense is more efficient. Our defense is better. We know we're deeper. We're up 2-0. Now they lost Chris Paul. This is going to be a, it is human nature to ease up a little bit in those kind of situations. And it is Michael Malone's job and the job of his coaching staff to make sure the guys don't do it. But to my mind, Boston Celtics did it the other night. There's concern of a letdown here. Now, we're going to find out a lot about the Denver Nuggets on Friday, Sandy. If they go pedal to the metal, and slam the door on these guys Friday, then I think you can start believing the Nuggets can win a title. If you see them kind of ease off, if you see them play with their food, then I think the same. Yeah, on Friday, Friday, don't play with your food. Perfectly. Then, then they're just like Boston, and we saw what happened to Boston against Philadelphia when the regular season MVP, and in my view, we'll talk about this more later, deservedly so, in Joel Embiid. Would I have voted for Jokic? Yes, I would have voted for Jokic. I see Jokic a lot more. I would have voted for Jokic because I thought he was better this year than he was in the previous two years. But getting back to Philadelphia, the interesting thing, and this is not to uh, diminish Embiid in any way, is that he's missed several playoff games. How many games has Philadelphia lost in the playoffs without Joel Embiid? 
That would be zero. Zero. They that would be zero. one. Now, beating Brooklyn without Joe Embiid is one thing. Beating Boston in Boston in Boston without Joe Embiid is quite another thing. And no, uh, James Harden will not go off as he did the other night in every game. But they have kids like Maxi mm-hmm. and Melton and not a kid, but Tobias Harris can score. They have scoring. Even when Embiid, the league's leading scorer, is not playing. They can score. They defended better than Boston did the other night. Boston just took Without the night off defensively. And they didn't have Embiid, who is a fine defensive player. So was there, would you say that in this case, Boston felt overconfident with yes. Embiid out and, and took it easy? Yes. And that's the concern for the Nuggets. Took it easy defensively. Right. Just Offense is fun to play without right. Joe yeah, Embiid yeah, in, yeah, in the lineup, and they scored 115 right. points. They, they were fine. But defensively, it, who's Paul Reed to be scoring 10 points along with 13 rebounds and mm-hmm. the certain defensive presence that didn't match Embiid's but was good enough for that night and was as, he was as good as Al Horford was, if not better. So where was the Boston advantage? Unless it was simply a first of 115 or first of 120 wins, and Philadelphia didn't get to 120, but they got to 119 and won by four. For the Suns, keep in mind, points per game in the regular season. Obviously, we talk about Chris Paul's ability to pass and, set and run the game. But he was sixth on the team in scoring, if you take everybody who's played on the team. It's a little more complicated than that. On the current roster, Booker, of course, uh, led with 27.8. Durant finished with 26 on two teams. DeAndre Ayton with 18. But Mikael Bridges with 17.2, traded away for Durant. Cameron Johnson with 13.9, traded away for Durant. That's where Chris Paul sits, 13.9. So now you're losing your fourth leading scorer and one of the few guys that averages double digits a game. The only other guy that did, Sandy, is Cameron Payne at 10.3. Yeah. Well, the other thing you're losing, and I'm not saying so Cameron Payne will play as badly in Phoenix as he did in Denver in game two. He may, I'm sure he'll play better. But uh, the one thing, and, and Chris Paul is largely over the hill, but yeah, the one thing he players. still does, one thing he still does is protect the basketball. He does not turn the ball over much. Uh, he never has, and... With age comes wisdom. 8.9 assists this year to 1.9 turnovers. I mean, he's one of the great. He's still one of the great assisted turnovers in the game. Four to one. I mean, that's phenomenal. And uh, you're right. He takes care of the ball. In Booker's case, uh, 5.5 assists to 2.7. Two to one. Yeah. (laughs) That's quite a difference. In Durant's case, it's 3.5 to 2.5 turnovers. It's not even two to one. Right. And even in Cameron Payne's case, he averaged 4.5 to 1.7. So you're right. There is, and turnovers have already been a problem for the Suns in this series. Without Chris Paul being the primary ball handler, that's likely to get worse. This is not to diminish either Durant or Booker, especially Durant. Uh, I do this every year after the MVP award comes out. I, you know, look at the game as it's played today and the game I've watched now for almost 60 years. And I try to come up with five teams of all-time 
greats that are real teams. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not putting Wilt, Russell, and Kareem right. yes. on the first team together. I'm I'm building teams. Kevin Durant would be on my second team all time. He's that unique a player. He would be on my second team with Kareem, Duncan, West, and Kobe. Mm-hmm. That's a high company. <laughs> and that team on given nights could be my all-time team, which would be Russell, Bird, LeBron, Magic, and Jordan. I can see it. Okay. On a given night. Sure. So I am not diminishing Kevin Durant's individual greatness, accomplishment, the championships he's been a part of in, in Golden State. But I am saying that he needs help. And apart from Booker, there's nothing in the way of scoring that can take the pressure off Kevin Durant. And now Booker's got to run the team, effectively run the team. It, 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 there's nothing good about this. For you Phoenix. don't root for injury for sure, but for the number of Nuggets, uh, you play who, you're, who they line up against you, and that will be easier on Friday. Hopefully the Nuggets don't take it easy on Friday. They could take a 3-0 lead. We'll take a look at some of the other NBA playoff matchups, interesting things going on around the league, including, of course, the new MVP in action tonight, next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The, we'll touch on it briefly because it is interesting. The MVP voting, of course, uh, we'll talk about it because Joel Embiid should be in action after missing game one. Should be in action tonight in Boston for the Sixers. Won the uh, MVP as expected, uh, 70 Three first-place votes to 15 for Nikola Jokic to 12 for uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. The, the three of them were widely ahead. Interestingly, though, um, one voter, this is, again, why you need transparency needs to be in Hall of Fame votes and MVP votes and things I agree. like that. One voter didn't even put Jokic in the top three. Right. Say what? One. And put, you want I guess? don't know what you put instead. Oh, uh, let, me, let me take a guess of where, and if the funny thing is, I hate to generalize, but I sort of am going to generalize. Talked about this over the years in football as well. If I was going to pick a city in which a writer would disrespect the ob- one of the obvious top three candidates, right? Obvious top three candidates, obvious. And pick a homer. If you pick a city, what would you pick? Oh, I know which one I'd pick. Probably someone in Boston. Well, it was someone in Boston. We don't know yet because the only other vote right. of the top three of anybody was one for Jason Tatum, right. who finished fourth with uh, eighty-nine fourth-place votes, which I right. have no problem with. Come yeah, on, not, man. He would have been my number four. Some homer in Beantown decides to make a statement. Like, make yeah. these things visible. Make these things right. transparent. Right. I, I have a pretty good idea of who that was. <laughs> yeah, entirely Actually. possible. Don't know for sure, so we can't name names. But, um, yeah, okay. Be better, Boston. Come on. Gosh. You guys talk about yourselves being all basketball savvy. Stop being homers. Anyway, the in, the interesting part of that with not only Embiid uh, winning, and by the way, the assist to Kendrick Perkins, I don't think Embiid necessarily wins this without Kendrick Perkins' uh, clear, obvious assistance uh, in the efforts to get. Yeah, I mean, ESPN gets a, uh, a lot of credit or blame, depending on how you want to look at it. it. Um, I 
I kind of think that the Nuggets and Jokic weren't as concerned about MVP voting as at least the Nuggets might have been in each of the last two years. And nor was uh, Giannis and the Bucks another two. Uh, I I'd agree with that. Now it's easy to say when Giannis has already won twice and Jokic has already won twice, and a lot of it I think has to do with the fact that there were some who thought Embiid should have won at least one MVP before this year, and it was, quote-unquote, his turn. And I I think to the extent that there's politics in it. That's what happened. uh, You know, there there are fewer than 20 players in the history of basketball since the MVP vote began in 1955 who won multiple MVPs. And Jokic is on that list. Right. Now, to me, does that make Jokic one of the 20 greatest players of all time? I think it probably does. And if you were to construct five all-time teams, he'd be on the list. Uh, to me, as a center, behind only, at this point, if he never played another game again, he'd be behind Russell, Kareem, Wilt, and Shaq. And he's 28. He's 28. Okay. But I, wow. I would not pick in the history of basketball another center, and there are plenty of very, oh. very good centers who have won world championships. With Jokic has not been part of a team you that is. You didn't yet talk about David Robinson. Championship. Or no, or no, no, because Jokic is a better center than David Robinson right. was. Now, the guy I hate to leave off that list is Akeem, who I think is underrating him. Right, yeah. And I'm, I, I that's, can't that's a quite one. squeeze him in because, again, I'm I'm talking about teams here, not individual greatness. Mm. Akeem's one of the ten greatest individual players of all time. I mean, he carried that Houston team to two straight titles, and I get the fact that Jordan was gone entirely for one and eliminated by Orlando with the Chicago Bulls in 1995. I, I understand that. Uh, but what I'm saying is that in the month of March, Philadelphia was fighting for playoff position, and Embiid was playing, and Embiid had one game, I believe, against Boston, in which he scored 52 points. And I think that cinched it for him. Uh, the Nuggets did not have a great month of March because they didn't need to have a great month of March to secure first place in the Western Conference. And as a result, Jokic was uh, rested slash uh, out due to injury. Uh, There may have been some truth in both the notion that they were giving him maintenance days and some truth in the fact that he was fighting an injury. And I still think there's a, a problem with his wrist that has maybe affected his shooting just a tad in these playoffs. But here's the thing. Jokic, of the two, is the fresher player and the more available player so far in the playoffs. I would make that trade any time. Absolutely. All and right? I think, I think Nicole, the Jokic And I'm not saying Philadelphia isn't trying to win. Philadelphia's had a hell of a playoff run so far. They have not lost a game. Right. They have not lost a game. The Nuggets have lost a game. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia's not lost a game. So they're doing fine. But I think it works to the advantage of the Nuggets. And it's one of the reasons the Nuggets, as of right now, 
might be as healthy as any team left in the playoffs. And we know that there are several teams who are fighting major injuries, including their opponent at the moment, the Phoenix Suns. And I think by giving Jokic those games off or protecting him from aggravating an already existing injury, the Nuggets played it the way you should play it. And the 76ers really wanted this MVP award for uh, Embiid. I'm sure you saw the reaction on Twitter. Yes. And let's be fair. Last year, the Nuggets wanted the same thing for Jokic to win it back. They did. We, we saw that. We saw the push late in the season. Yep. Uh, by the way, the, 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 uh, the, the numbers add up and the, the Homer presumably from Beantown uh, left Jokic off the ballot entirely. 13 players received votes. Uh, one is short. So uh, the person who presumably voted for Jason Tatum, uh, didn't include Jokic in, at all in the ballot. So silly. Once they find well, out who that is, you know, quietly just remove that person. Boston ha- has, has a funny history in this regard. Uh, th- there were years in which Ted Williams was denied a place on uh, the MVP ballot of certain writers, even from Boston, who, get this, just didn't happen to like him. Just didn't happen to like him, Ted Williams. Well, so they left him off the ballot. Dumb. Do your job. So I'll, I'll, I'll show you. I won't vote for you for MVP. Out of those 13 players, Sandy, by the way, one of them was not LeBron James, which ends a remarkable streak. LeBron James entered the NBA at 18 years old. He's 38 years old now. This is the first time in his 19-season career in which he has not received at least one MVP vote. Yeah. yeah I mean, if you want to know the, the, the idea of consistency well, and longevity. He, he has four. <laughs> right. So it's okay. But I mean, 19 years of re- straight yeah. of receiving. That's amazing. That's amazing. 18 years of receiving wow. votes. And, yeah. and you know what? He doesn't care either. And his team's looking pretty dangerous his, all his of a sudden. His team looks very good, even when LeBron doesn't play well or doesn't play at all. And we'll talk about executive of the year voting because Calvin Booth uh, finished strongly. Mm-hmm. Didn't win it, but finished strongly. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But if the executive of the year vote was somehow condensed and it was merely a measure of which executive had done the best from the trade deadline on forward through the end of the regular season and maybe even on into the playoffs, Rob Palenka would win hands down because he transformed the Laker team to the point where they could win games without LeBron down the stretch that got him into the play. It is sort of amazing how much he managed And now uh, LeBron has for LeBron, an ordinary game last night. 24 field goal attempts, only 22 points and 11 rebounds. But for the only majority four of assists, his time, three blocks, and a plus one over 40 minutes in a game the Lakers won by. For the majority of the time of his career as a Laker, however, if, if LeBron James doesn't play a phenomenal game, they lose. Right. And now they have not only Anthony Davis, who is pushing Jimmy Butler, who's now missed a game. Yeah, 30 points Anthony and 23 Davis has not boards missed last a game. night and four that, blocks. Anthony Davis is pushing Butler last night. for MVP of the playoffs. Playoffs, yes, obviously. I mean, it, but now all of a sudden, you know, that's a dangerous Lakers team that looks deep. And um, congratulations also to former Nugget Jared Vanderbilt playing a big role in that 26 minutes uh, starting on that team. And, uh, you know, playing, ending up last night, by the way, with the best plus minus on the team is the Lakers beat the Warriors 117 to 112. And that's after the Warriors, Sandy took an early start in in which they had scored i mean in the early going i mean they were dominating uh the game but started with 12 as it was 12-4 run to start the game for the 
Warriors. Yeah. And it felt like, wow, maybe they're off to the races. And uh, not at all. It, it just felt as if the Lakers sort of took control of the game in the third. And while the uh, uh, Golden State made it a game, if you just took game one, the Lakers look like the more well-rounded, more dangerous oh, I team thought than so. the Warriors. I, I thought so. Uh, I was texting with a friend of mine last night as we were both watching the game. And I, I thought my first reaction in watching it, in, in progress, before the outcome was determined, mm-hmm. was that the Lakers were the deeper team, definitely the bigger team. And by the end of the game, I was convinced the tougher team. And Golden State's plenty tough. But as Charles Barkley pointed out on TNT after the game, Looney is too slow to guard Davis. And Draymond Green, a superior the defensive player, is too boards. small. I know, Matching but that Davis. has nothing to do with no. guarding Anthony yeah, Davis, Davis still which 30. he could not do. Right. Davis 30. got 30 points on 19 shots, 11 of 19. Uh, Looney looks silly trying to guard him. Uh, Green is too small. Uh, and, and you know, I, I like Sabonis, but Draymond Green got into Sabonis's head and into mm-hmm. other areas yep. uh, of his body during that uh, first-round series with Sacramento, Draymond Green is not going to uh, intimidate or oh. beguile Anthony Davis. Davis. No. It's it's not going to. Now, the big question with the Lakers, as far as Davis and LeBron are concerned, is whether you can keep them both in one piece uh, for a best-of-seven series. Right. That that. May go seven. Even with the Lakers winning in San Francisco last night, I I sense this series could go, still go, seven games. I I like the Lakers, but when I say bigger, tougher, deeper, the margins are razor thin. And, you know, either Davis or James is going to have to play out of his mind in every game. I, I, I do think, though, that at least for last night, uh, Schroeder, was effective off the bench. Brown was pretty good in the 12 minutes he played, and Hachimura only played 11 minutes, but he was a plus player. And I think their starting five fits together very well with Reeves and Russell in the backcourt, James and Vanderbilt, uh, along with Davis. And I I thought Vanderbilt did a terrific defensive job right throughout the game, even though he only scored eight points. He was a plus eight in the 26 minutes he played. And, uh, oh, by the way, we know how great a coach Steve Kerr is, mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. Sure. Coach. Okay, no doubt. Uh, Darwin Ham's pretty good. Darwin Ham's good. And Rob Palenka gave him a team to coach at the trading Palenka table. Palenka, uh, the moves former made. agent, and, and, and did sort of learn on the job, seems to be getting more and more effective. It goes, as does Darvin Ham. Of course, he's to remember Darvin Ham briefly as a Denver Nugget dunking. Ooh, get that guy dunked. But uh, coming on a way to manage very well, by the way, to get an idea of how good Anthony Davis really was. Not just 30 points, not just the 23 boards. Off of his feeds, teammates shot five for five. And on shots he contested, the Warriors shot four for 17. Terrific performance by Anthony Davis. If I could say something very quickly about Davis, too. Since the LeBron injury in late February, from that point to the end of the regular season, get a load of these numbers, 26.3 points per game, 12.9 rebounds, 2.1 blocks, and shooting at a percentage of 56.3%. In the play-in game against Minnesota, 24-15-4 with three blocks. That got him into the playoffs. In the postseason so far, 
which does not include the playing game. 22.1 points, 15 rebounds, 4.3 blocks. I repeat, 4.3 blocks per game, shooting 50.4% and making 86.5% of his free throws, and he's going to the line a whole lot. Well, Palinka did not finish near the top of the Executive of the Year awards, but Calvin Booth did. We'll take a look at the job he did and what he deserved next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. There was concern when Tim Connolly left the Denver Nuggets and went to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Connolly built most of what uh, the Nuggets had gotten and become a regular playoff. A team made trades, made selections. Some of it, I'm not taking it away from Connolly with the selection of Nikola Jokic. Uh, deserves credit for that. Got a little lucky. Not that, that Jokic turned into what he did. Well, and Arturis uh, did yeah, most Arturis of Karnasovas the, most of the of leg that. work and the scouting. That's scouting. But uh, Tim Connolly... Uh, in the executive of the year votes, finished with a one-third place vote, tied with Dave Griffin in New Orleans for the fewest, but on the list. Calvin Booth finished tied for third. Good for him. Congratulations. No first-place votes, but six second-place votes. That's the second most. Boy, that's that good. Booth good. ties with uh, Justin Zanuck of Utah and trails only Kobe Altman of Cleveland and Monte McNair of Sacramento, right. who dominated uh, the first-place votes. And that, no, no argument whatsoever there. But... For Booth to step in, hopping in on a playoff team that is going to be keeping the majority of its parts and knowing that and still trying to find a way to augment and improve it, that's a tougher task than I think people think it is. And then finding a way to make the move for Davies Caldwell Pope to get that done, to bring in Bruce Brown, to draft Christian Brown, to even to a certain extent draft Peyton Watson, who had the lowest points per game average of any first-round pick in the history of the NBA. Booth made some bold decisions that were designed to maximize Nikola Jokic's championship window and his prime. And I think he not only did that very well, a couple moves sort of backfired. Thomas Bryant's addition did not help. But the funny thing is, it's also easy to look at that with hindsight. That looked to be a good move. I think so. Adding Reggie it, it, Jackson it, it, looked to be a good absolutely, move. It didn't absolutely. work. Given the way Brian had played against the Nuggets this year, it seemed to make all the sense in the world. Reggie Jackson is a veteran playoff guy, and it just didn't work with him. And, of course, with Bruce Brown and Christian Brown, you have two versatile uh, so-called wings who can guard at least four of the five positions on the floor. So, Reggie Jackson kind of got squeezed out. And I, I think part of it, too, is that as they did the other night, playing Contavious Caldwell Pope 41 minutes, there aren't any minutes left. No. I mean, that's for another lead guard. But uh, keep in mind, of course, Zanuck of Utah, and you're going, wait a minute, Utah? Well, they, they weren't that good. Well, that's not why he got it. Zanuck engineered that oh. trade of Rudy Gobert to Minnesota. <laughs> Let me remind you again what that was. <laughs> And they almost made the play. Yeah. Let me remind you what that trade was for Rudy Gobert, who I think Nuggets fans have now watched pretty close and say, hmm, I might not have given that up for Rudy Gobert. Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Bomaro, 
Walker Kessler, first-round pick. Jared Vanderbilt, now in the Lakers. First-round pick, unprotected in 2023. An unprotected first-round pick in 2025. An unprotected first-round pick in 2027. And a top-five protected first-round pick in 2029. Four first-rounders, unprotected except for the very last one, the 2029, in the top five. And five players, including a first-rounder in... Kessler, and then Vanderbilt ends up getting flipped to the Lakers. The basically what what Zandig did with the, the the Jazz that allows him to finish third with Booth, and I think is fair, is he understood the team he had, made a move for a guy that had definitely worn out his welcome. Also remember Donovan Mitchell moved on, and, and basically stripped it down to the Bolts. And gave them a maximum flexibility to build back up. Oh, and it almost worked immediately, as you pointed out. Utah set up for success down yeah, the road. I think when you, when you have a guy like Walter uh, uh, Walker, Walker Kessler, Kessler yeah. who is under 23 years of age, and if you're making uh, a team or, or several teams out of the best under 23 guys in the league, he'd be on one of the top two or three teams. I would he's think 23 so. and younger. He'd he be on those teams. Uh, he's a keeper, and, and I think a much better player Almost than Gobert. Almost a double-double anyway. player already. He's a better player than Gobert now. Uh, this season, uh, you know, a, as a rookie right off the bat, and that's only playing 23 minutes a game. Yeah, you could make the argument that as it stands right now, Kessler alone is probably equal Gobert. you got four first-round picks on top of it, plus other players, so... Uh, Zanuck and, and Booth finished third, Altman of Cleveland in uh, second, which I think you understand to Cleveland all year long. Pretty good-looking team for the most oh, part. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, they, and they just got beaten in the playoffs mm-hmm. by a, a team that I, I think is, frankly, uh, playing quite well and is more dangerous than people think. Th- mm-hmm. This is the best the Knicks have been, uh, I think, since Ewing's heyday. I, I I think it's I, the best team they've had. It's you. better than any of the Carmelo sure teams by a, by a lot, and I don't think it's any disgrace losing to the Knicks. I know they were disappointed to be dispatched as easily as they were, but it, that's a four versus a five. That was a toss up series going in. So Altman from Cleveland finished the second, and of course McNair for Sacramento. Easy selection for first. Hard to argue that number three seed in the West. Surprising everybody uh, all year long and looking fully legitimate, you know, taking the Warriors. This is a regular season award, just like the MVP award is. Exactly. So congratulations to Calvin Booth. Uh, Finishing third in that, I think, is is, uh, that is probably fair credit given for what he did. To be honest, and I'll include myself in this, he got more credit in the executive of the year vote than he's gotten around here all year. I in my opinion, don't and I disagree with you myself. In I've I've always I've been a big Calvin Booth fan. I think I've been. I have too, but uh, you know, yeah. in the in the few weeks we've been on the air, um, I'll speak for myself. Uh, I've mentioned Calvin Booth's significance a time or two, but I haven't put any real emphasis on it. And you know, I it's like the MVP vote. I I don't think you have to tear. Tim Connolly apart because there were some good things he did here sure. in order to elevate Calvin Booth. But I think it is plausible, if not entirely fair, to suggest that 
were Calvin Booth not here, the Nuggets would still have Will Barton playing for them, and oh, they would have I Monte Morris agree. playing for them, and they would not necessarily have Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, or Contavious Caldwell Pope and they playing for them. Be the top seed in the West. They would not have claimed that for the first time in their history. So obviously a uh, a, a very good year for Calvin Booth. Good year for the Denver Nuggets. And Calvin Booth understood. Here's the one thing that was most important that he understood, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. He understood that simply the return of Murray and Porter to good health was not enough, not nearly enough, to elevate the Nuggets beyond being the 47-48-49 win team that they've basically been and were under Tim Connolly. They conceivably could have won more than the 53 games they did, but 53 looks pretty good. Uh, I think they've had one year uh, since uh, Masai left and George was fired. I think they've had one year in which they won 54 games, and that was 2019 when they finished second in the conference to Golden State. Otherwise, 53 wins is kind of a high watermark for this team since 2013, when, of course, they won 57 games, which is an all-time NBA franchise record uh, for the Denver Nuggets. So uh, Calvin Booth understood that they had to be active in the offseason and couldn't just sit and wait for the return of Murray and Porter to transform the team. Obviously, the uh, the Nuggets will be going for their third win in this series on Friday when they get back together, and that's obviously a uh, exciting thing to be rooting for, even though we have to work our way through it. But when you are injured, you need a win as well, and you can't wait. And that's why you need to talk to our friends at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com. 720-845-7001 is the phone number. You need to hire the winner. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients, and when you're injured, They'll push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether that's by settlement or even by trial. They have locations in Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, the DTC, Colorado Springs, and Cheyenne. And that main personal injury office is right here where we are in the tech center. So when you're injured, don't hire someone off the billboard. Hire someone who's fight for, fight for you and is a proven winner. Burnhamlaw.com, 720-845-7001. When you're hurt, hire the winner. The Colorado Rockies... One, two in a row. Not that that matters all that much, especially given the news about Herman Marquez. We will check in on Marquez's future and the Rockies with the Denver Gazette's Danielle Allentuck next. 